Would you stand for a moment? I want to read a few verses to us, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 5 of Matthew. And as we stand, uh, if you're able, starting in verse 6 of uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they, uh, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You may be seated. As I've been looking at this, I've been thinking about spiritual conditioning. You know, there's a lot of things that we do to kind of take care of ourselves, I guess, if you will. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, I ran track, I wrestled, and we did a lot of conditioning on our physical bodies. But I found that in my spiritual life, I have to keep myself conditioned as well. Uh, I can find myself get out of sorts in a week's time when I don't spend time alone with God. And the scriptures are a message from our Creator to man, and it's a testimony of our Savior. He gives us all these wonderful things that we ought to be doing. If you just read these few passages, he told us some things that we ought to do. He said, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, uh, they shall be filled. That means that it will happen. Amen? So if you hunger and thirst for it, it says that it will happen. He then goes on and says, blessed are the merciful, and he tells us they shall obtain mercy. So if you show mercy, guess what God said? You'll obtain what? Mercy. Then you look at the next one, and he said, blessed are, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a wonderful thing. And I don't think that's a passive observation of God. I think that's an active uh, seeing what's going on around us and seeing what God's doing. And so there's some wonderful things here, and I believe the Bible provides for all who believe the message of how to live this life. When I look to the scriptures, it's not just about reading a book and saying, oh, those are some good suggestions. <laughs> we, re we pick up the Bible and realize that it's the Word of God, and if we live it accordingly, uh, God will bless our lives. He said, blessed or happy are these people that do these things. Isn't that what he just told us here? He said, you put this into play, guess what? You'll be a happy person, <laughs> and, and we'll put these things into effect. And so spiritual conditioning is not the mere fact that we've read a book. And because I've read a book, it doesn't make me an expert. Would you agree? You know what makes us an expert? <laughs> Putting it into practice, isn't it? And, and you get better at it. Uh, I was talking to uh, Don Forrester, and uh, he headed up um, uh, a church down in Virginia, and he was a blind fella. And they told him just to go out in the country somewhere because he probably wouldn't do much for the Lord. Just go on out in the country and just start a little country church somewhere because that might be all that he can do. One of the largest ministries in Northern Virginia today is what Don Forrester started. And today, uh, Kurt Scully took it over, and uh, there's a, a college down there and everything else, and Virginia Baptist College. And, 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 I, and I look at, at this, and I see a man who, who spiritually conditioned himself to do the things that God had called him to do. And he told me, he said, you know, when it comes to the ministry, he said, the interesting thing about it is, is he said, about the time you start to get it figured out, it's time to retire. <laughs> And uh, he said, it's just like a guy who plays football. He said, you know, when you're playing peewee football and you start out, he said, you know, you get a little bit better at it. And as time goes on, maybe you get to college and maybe you get into the pros. And he said, about the time a pro figures out how to play the game, they're ready to retire, aren't they? And so it takes some conditioning to continue in something, doesn't it? Spiritual conditioning requires uh, something of you and me. And to receive the promised blessings of Christ through the word of God, I think there's some action that needs to take place, some spiritual conditioning that needs to take place. When you look at this, he said, blessed are they which do. You ought to underline that in your Bible. The words, the phrase, which do. <laughs> the things they do matter. And so there's action required of us whenever we see something in the scriptures like this. So here's our challenge tonight. And I want you to consider, are you conditioning yourself through the word of God? When you read it, 
I want to challenge you to do this. When you're reading the Word of God, when you're, when you're in God's Word, look for those action words. Now, when you see those action words, it's something that we have to take action on. When you read this, he said, Blessed are they which do. So what do they do? They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to see the righteousness of God. Now, the Bible then, then offers a promise to follow that, for they shall be filled. Something will happen for us if we have this thirst, this hunger, if we take action on this, uh, God does something for us. And I believe that spiritual conditioning requires effort. And you have the responsibility to take action. And then I believe we receive those promised blessings. And there's three actions that we're going to look at just this evening in this passage. One is righteousness. The other is mercy itself. And then purity. And so pursuing righteousness, I believe this is... Uh, uh, not physical fulfillment, but spiritual need. And those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. I, I think about what will happen for us if we, if we have a hunger, if we have a thirst for righteousness. God says he'll, he'll give us what we need. When you think about being filled, it's, it's being full of something, isn't it? And so God giving that to us. So the physical side of hunger is that need for food. And sometimes that action's ravenous. I went home this afternoon and Anita I uh, had to go somewhere else, so I had to go home and make a hamburger for myself. It was driving me nuts, you know. I got home, I was so hungry, and, and man, you know, when she makes burgers, you know, she makes me a burger about that big, I went home and I was making a burger. Are you with me? I was like, yeah, buddy, nobody around now. And I make it about the size of a, you know, New York strip or something. Uh, but anyway, I went home and I was just hungry, and I, I, I got a bag of potato chips as well. I stopped at the Dollar General, and I'm not supposed to be eating potato chips, but I'm telling you, I had a hankering for them today. You ever have a hankering for something? I mean, I had a hankering for some chips. So I went over there and here, you know, sure enough, I walked into Dollar General and they're two for five bucks. I was like, hey, man, brother. So they're family size too. So I took a little bit of barbecue potato chips and I put them on my plate and I had made me this nice big old burger and everything. Man, I was so hungry. You know how you get, you know, and you're just like, man, I can't wait to dig into this thing. And so I'm ready to eat this thing. And, and so I sit down and I eat it and I said, hey, Connor, you got those chips? He said, yeah. I said, can I have a few more of those? I took a few more out of the bag, put a few on my plate. And then I went out in the kitchen, and I was like, man, I'd like to have a few more of them chips. Do you ever get that way? You just want just a little bit more. And I went out there, and that stinking bag was empty. That kid ate all my potato chips. I got a problem with it. He doesn't even know it yet. He's hearing it right now for the first time. We got a problem. He needs to stop at the Dollar General on the way home. I want my chips back. I was ravenous this afternoon. I was so hungry. I was famished. And I said, man, I was to the point of, oh, man, I'm so hungry, I'm weak. Anybody ever get there? You're just like, oh, man, you know? That's why my wife, I love it when she comes home with me because she helps make lunch all the time for, after church. And so, but anyway, what I'm sharing with you is this. The same is true spiritually. We can become malnourished spiritually, can't we? We can get to the place where we're just not feeding ourselves as we should. We get malnourished in the Word of God, and a famine can even set into our life, a spiritual famine. How does that happen? A spiritual famine comes by because we're just not feasting on the Word of God. And then we get to that place where we've let it go for so long, and, and all of a sudden we become malnourished. We're just so hungry. You know, when you're hungry sometimes, we'll fill our physical bodies with anything, like potato chips, amen? You're just hungry. And so think about what junk food does for you. After you've eaten junk food, how do you feel? First of all, you feel terrible, don't you? doesn't feel too good. And then what do you need? In about an hour, you want to eat again. Hey, man. 
So, you know, you eat that Big Mac, large fry, you know, big uh, Dr. Pepper there, and you have yourself an ice cream, and about an hour later, you're ready for another one. Why? Because it's not healthy food. It's just, it, it's gone, isn't it? And, and so, here's the thing. God doesn't want us to be passed by Christians or drive through Christians. He doesn't want us just to glance at this and then move on. He wants us to feast on his word. Would you agree with that? <laughs> he wants us in it and feasting on it. Listen, he said those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be what? Yeah. Amen. Now, this is not a drive through thing. This is something you've got to feast on. You have to get down. This is like a buffet, and, and you've got to just keep going back and getting a little bit more. Amen? How many of you go to the buffet realizing, man, I should have pushed away from the table about 20 minutes ago? Amen? And the thing of it is, is that he wants us to feast on his word. When you're hungry sometimes, you'll fill your physical body with junk food. And yet it's not what the body needs. It'll fade quickly. You know, candy bars, nachos, and quarter pounders aren't going to do it for us. We actually need beef. Uh, Miss Connie gave me a summer sausage, and um, Michael opened it the other day. Oh, Miss Connie, good night, man. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Every time I go home, it's like, uh, yeah, man. Got to have me a piece of that summer sausage. And, and the thing of it is, is that you want to feast on good food. You want stuff that's good. By the way, it's good. <laughs> it's so good, I'm about to hide the rest of it from everybody, man. I was looking in the fridge. Mike's been on that thing. You know what I mean? I don't see teeth marks, but I know there's knife marks in it. So, But here's the thing. We can't feast on candy bars, nachos, and quarter pounders and think that we're going to be healthy. It's not going to happen, is it? We have to actually sit down and put some good, solid food into us. By the way, that's the truth of the Word of God. You're not going to get everything you need out of a message on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's not going to happen. You have to be in the Word of God feasting on it. Listen, you have to thirst. You have to hunger for this righteousness. So despite all the junk food available to fill your hunger, it's obvious that something's still missing. The real need is something with more sustenance than a bag of chips. It's not going to work. You've got to have more than just that. So you can't just come in. It'll be fleeting. So this is also true whenever it comes to spiritual need and spiritual conditioning. You have to really dig in. In James 5.5, 5, the Bible says, You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. And, and I, I got to reading that verse. He said, You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You know, it, it, it's sort of like you run over the McDonald's and you get that stuff and it tastes good for the moment. But it really doesn't do anything for you. It empties you in a very short period of time. And, 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 and James refers to this spiritual growth. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. If you think about a day of slaughter, something's dying, isn't it? And so you're not really gaining anything from it at all. It doesn't bring life. It doesn't bring what it needs. In 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 6, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused, if it be with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And what he was dealing with, he was dealing with false teachers and false teaching and abstaining from foods and abstaining from marriage. And yet God said, if you pray about these things, it'll be good for you. But he says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And he said, not giving yourself over to all these foolish teachings and false teachings, that, that stuff's not going to help you. He said, keep your brethren in remembrance. And here's what he said to him. Timothy speaking, or Paul speaking to Timothy here, he says, Thou put them in remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Listen, nourished up in the words of faith. Nourished up in the words of faith. And I want to challenge you. Are you being nourished up in the words of faith? God said in this passage, Happy are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, and they shall be filled. 
And I, and I look at this. When you are nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, something is there to sustain you. And I'm telling you, in your times of trouble, you need God. In your times of trouble, you need God. But if you're just a pass-by, drive-through Christian, and you're not really hanging on or clinging on to anything or the meat of God's Word, when the troubled times come, you don't have what you need. You're not nourished up. You don't have what it takes to be able to sustain, sustain yourself in those times. And another part of pursuing righteousness is thirsting for, uh, you know, you think about it, it, it's that pure desire, that thirsting is that pure desire for the Word of God. Now, I want to tell you this morning when I woke up, and I, I had written the message that I wrote uh, for this morning's service. Generally, I get a good, healthy time in prayer in the morning. didn't happen for me this, this morning. And, and, and I was frustrated almost by the time I got here. And, and I didn't get my time in the Word of God the way that I wanted to, the way I wanted to read over my message and the way I wanted to pray and the things that I wanted to do. And you say, what happened? It's too long a story to tell. But the fact is, is that I knew something was missing. And I needed it. And I pleaded with God while I was sitting on this pew up here, help me, Lord, because I needed help to preach. And, and I want to bring forth his word with great grace and great power. And another part of pursuing righteousness is thirsting for it in your life, which causes a pure desire. And you know, only God can bring fulfillment to our lives. You ever have that grumbling stomach? Anybody ever have a grumbling stomach? How many of you have ever had a grumbling stomach, huh? You know, uh, what happens to us is we know that somebody will turn to you and say, well, you're hungry, and, and they hear that grumbling going on inside of you. How many of you have that grumbling for the Word of God? Amen. How many of you have that desire like that happening inside of you, that you're just longing for that? What people fail to realize inside and outside the church is the hunger and thirst in their lives is a deep longing for God. I believe one of the biggest voids in our life is getting alone with Him and, and, and hungering and thirsting for that. Now, there is disappointment because there are no perfect human relationships, and I want to tell you this, and there's no person that can really satisfy the longing that is in our soul. Who, the only one that can really do that for us is God. I enjoy talking to my wife at times. I enjoy talking to my family at times, and there's some joy in that, but there is nothing, nothing, nothing that strengthens my life like my time alone with Jesus Christ. Nothing does it for me. There is no person, no human being, no individual that fills my soul the way that my Savior does. And what I'm sharing with you is, is we ought to wake up, we ought to go to bed, we ought to have in the afternoon this thirst and this hunger for Jesus Christ. We ought to have that desire to be alone with him. In Isaiah 26, 9, he says, With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Isaiah is saying here, with my soul I have desired thee in the night. Is there a time in the evening where you just so desire to be alone with God? You just want to talk to him. You, want, you have that longing in your heart, that hunger, that thirst to be with him. He said, with my spirit within me, will I seek thee early? Do you wake up sometimes just so longing, longing, having that hunger and thirst in you to be with God? And he said, for, thy, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn thy righteousness. In Psalm 63, 1 and 2, he made this statement. He said, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. 
My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and the glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Is there that thirst, that, that, that longing in your soul to see God do something? And I began to think about a hungry and thirsty soul longs to see the Lord. We have that desire to be with him. And, and, and listen, that promise is to them that seek him, he says they will be filled. I want you to get a hold of this. Blessed are they which do. So if you hunger and thirst for him, you shall be filled. Second thought is this. We're to show compassion to receive compassion. He said, blessed are the merciful. Notice this. For they shall obtain mercy. If you give it, it'll be given, right? If you show it, it'll be shown back to you. And I think receiving mercy of the Lord is such a wonderful blessing. And the commitment to those who show mercy is they'll obtain or receive mercy. You'll get it back. Now you think about how important mercy is in our lives, amen? And you think about when you receive it. Spiritual conditioning is to be able to show mercy because we do not naturally want to show compassion to others. That's a sad statement, but it's true. We do not naturally want to show compassion toward people. We don't do it. But God says that we should. Therefore, it takes practice. I think you have to put forth effort. And let me share with you what I mean. If you see a need in someone else's life, ask God to use you to help meet that need. When you see a need in someone else's life, won't you ask God to help you meet that need? Won't you ask God to use you to help meet that need? When you see something, and, 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 and instead of putting someone down for the way they are or what they're going through, why not take that name to the Lord in prayer? Take that person to God in prayer. God, help me have the compassion that I need for that individual. Help me to show mercy. Amen? If we show mercy, he said we obtain what? Mercy. He'll give it back to us, won't he? We ought to have that in our hearts. We ought to see things just that way because we don't naturally want to show compassion. So I think it takes practice and effort to show mercy. But by doing so, the Lord shares the promise of you getting in return what you demonstrate to others. And I think he gives it back to us. And he said, blessed uh, are the merciful, for they shall obtain. That word shall is a different, definite word. It's not that God might do this for you. He shall do this. He's going to do this for you. It's a definite. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved, Saved right? So if I show mercy, they shall what? Obtain mercy. I'm going to get it back. God's going to show it to me. God's going to give it back to me. And so I want to show mercy. You know, when you trusted Christ, consider how you experienced God's mercy. Uh, let me get you to turn to a couple of verses here, and, and I won't take you to too many tonight. But turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look at something in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 4. If you're with me, say amen. Chapter 2, verse 4 of Ephesians. Everybody with me, say amen. He said, but God who is rich in what? Mercy. Now listen, if somebody's rich, that means they have a lot of it, amen? And so I just want you to think about this. The one who is rich in mercy just said in the verse in Matthew, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what? Mercy. mercy. Now I want you to notice something. In Ephesians, but God who is rich in what? If he's rich, he's got a lot of it, amen? And he goes on to say this, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. God said to you and me, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now I want you to get a hold of this. Part of mercy is showing love to the unlovely. Part of mercy is showing love to the unlovely. Part of mercy is, is reaching out to maybe someone that you wouldn't normally reach out to. It's showing compassion towards someone that maybe you wouldn't normally reach out and show compassion to. It's showing love like God showed, because even when we were dead in sins, are you with me? <laughs> when we weren't capable of doing anything, that's when he showed his mercy. You see, sometimes there are people that are just in a mess and in a bind in their lives, and, and they're not even sure how to get out of it, and we tell them, ah, you're just a waste. I'm not even going to waste my time with you. And the thing of it is, is that if we do that, that, I think, is going to be the return upon our own head. But if we'll show mercy, he'll give us mercy. When I look at this, God, through his mercy, gives us a clean heart and peace within. He said in Acts 15, 9, purifying their hearts by faith. He does this. He, he gives us this heart by faith, and he purifies us. In Romans 5, 1, he said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what God does for us. We're justified we have what we have because of the mercy of God. Do you know what? If you show mercy to somebody, you would be shocked at what God might do in their life. Because if we could set self aside for a moment and show mercy to somebody, you'd be shocked at what God might do in their life. Because it's not about us. And so God wants to have us pursue mercy. He said, listen, those of you that are pursuing it are happy, are they? The merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I believe a soul that hungers and thirsts for righteousness is a soul that conditions itself to show mercy. I think it's a soul that conditions itself to show mercy. We ask God, God, help me to show mercy to other people that my, I myself might obtain mercy. He told me this in the scriptures. The last thought is this, and I want you to get a hold of this one. He said in verse uh, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I believe we are to strive to maintain an uncontaminated way of thinking. We ought to have an uncontaminated way of thinking. We have to be very careful about what we put in us. And I think we ought to make a conscious effort for what we're putting into us. Those things which our eyes view, those things which our ears hear, we ought to have a consciousness toward those things that we allow to enter into us. And I believe in this passage, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, Pursuing a pure heart, this should be an action that every believer should strive toward, a pure heart continually. Now, let me give you a couple of things here. I wrote down four things that I was thinking about as I put this together. One is, I believe a pure heart leads to a clearer vision of what God's doing in your life. A pure heart leads to a clearer vision of what God's doing in your life. When you are in pursuit of having a pure heart, I think you have a clearer vision of things. You can see things that God's doing then. You're asking God to do something. I believe a pure heart gives you an ability to understand the vision God has for you personally. There are things that God's doing in your life or wants to do in your life, and I think you have a pure or a clearer vision 
of that and what God wants to do. And then I believe a pure heart sees God leading and follows him, seeking to do his will for his glory. I think a pure heart sees God, and we can see what God's doing. We're allowing God to lead us, and we follow him, and we're watching what he's doing, and we can actually see what's taking place, and we are led to do things for his glory. And the fourth thing is this. I believe a pure heart is one that seeks to serve the Lord for his purpose. We're not doing it for our own personal gain, and we're not doing it so that people not, might know our name or know who we are or, you know, somehow or another there's a statue made of me when I'm all said and done. I, I really think we ought to get to the place where we just have that pure heart, one that seeks to serve the Lord for his purpose. We're doing this because we love God, not because I'm going to get my name on a plaque or that, that, that someone's going to know my name. I want to do it because we're doing it for the purpose of God. And I believe the pure heart is clean in its thoughts and its feelings. It's a clean mind. And, and, and where that seed of thought and emotions reside. I think it's just sometimes we get clouded in our thinking. We let the world infiltrate our lives so much and we don't spend enough time here. And I'm not talking about in church. I'm talking about in the Word of God. And we allow our minds and our thoughts and our hearts to get so clouded sometimes because we're not walking with God. And, and the heart was thought to be the seed of the inner self, you know, the life, the soul, the mind, the spirit. And I thought about that for a moment as I went back and I'm doing a little bit of study, looking in the Strong's Concordance and looking things up and, and just thinking about it a little bit. And I started thinking to myself, the Bible says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. It's pretty simple, isn't it? God's saying that what happens to us when we don't do that, we get clouded in our thinking. We don't have that pure heart that we need. And I believe the heart is similar in meaning to the soul whenever I look this up. But often the heart, it has this focus on thinking and understanding. And a pure heart is not distracted by impure thoughts. A pure heart can't be distracted by impure thoughts. <laughs> a pure heart is a, allowing itself to go through the Word of God and to filter things through the Word of God. It's not impure thoughts. It's not impure motives. It's not personal agendas. It's not pride. It's not egos. It's something very different than that. I, I, I believe... Uh, it, 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 you, you get to the place where you just allow so many things of the world to just kind of blind us to so much stuff. And the world has such a, uh, an effect on us. And yet, I believe when I read the scriptures, he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And blinded by hidden sin, past hurts or unresolved offenses. I mean, there's all kinds of things that just enter into our lives that cause us not to have that pure heart that pure heart that God desires. And I believe a pure heart according to God's word is this. Psalm 24, 4 and 5. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. When you think about vanity, what is it? emptiness isn't it it's pure emptiness and god says in this passage if you have clean hands and a pure heart you've not lifted up your soul unto empty things nor sworn deceitfully he said he shall receive the blessing from the lord he shall do this when i go back and read this verse he said blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god that's a definite thing in first Tim, or second timothy 2 21 and 22 he said if a man therefore purge himself from these, 
He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. He said in 1 Peter 1, and 23, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit and unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. The only way that you can purify your heart, you have to see this as the filter. This is what we filter our lives through. This is why we have the responsibility as believers to study to show thyself approved unto God. This is why God encourages us to be in the Word of God. This is why He speaks to us about not just reading, but knowing and understanding the Word of God. And I believe, folks, spiritual conditioning requires action. And that action is, is that we have to pursue these things. We cannot do this on our own. I went to dinner with someone a while back here. And, uh, and they come to church here often. And one of the things that they said to me is, they've been, and now listen to me, folks, this is our church. These are people that I'm dealing with in this church. And, and, and in their heart, they said to me this. They said, you know, I've been pulling back and I thought I could do this on my own. <laughs> I thought I could do this on my own, apart from God's people. I felt like I had enough and I could handle it. Now think about that for just a moment. And you know what the next words out of their mouth was? I have learned the hard way I cannot. I know I need to be in God's house and around God's people. Because without it, I end up running with the wrong people. I end up being around the wrong types of people and the wrong kinds of influences in my life. Man, I was already ready to shout hallelujah inside a restaurant. Amen? <laughs> and I'm just sharing with you, that's why I tell you, when I'm telling you, let's pray for one another. This is why. We don't know what's going on in someone else's life. And there are people, even in the confines of this church, that we come in and sometimes we just get dressed up. We put our suits on and our ties on and listen, we come in and we think everything's just okay, folks. It's not. People are hurting and we need each other. And God wants to do a work through Calvary. And God's revealing to me in some of the people's lives in this very church, there's folks that are hurting inside this ministry. And they need God to help them. And they're struggling, folks. They're struggling. It's not that they're just walking away. They're hurting and things have happened to them and things are entering into their lives and they're struggling. And they need the Lord. Oh, the blessedness at the end of that conversation. I'll let God handle it. But it was wonderful what they told me. And so I'm asking God to continue to work. When you think about spiritual conditioning, it requires action. And we have to pursue after God personally. Listen, if you're going to have a personal relationship with someone, you've got to stay in it. Would you agree? You have to give something toward that relationship. You can't expect it just to all be a one-way thing. It's got to be a two-way street. What then is the benefit of a pure heart or showing mercy and hungering and thirsting after righteousness? I think often we're blinded spiritually by our physical sight. How many of you would agree with that? We're blinded spiritually by what we see. We are blinded spiritually by what we can actually see. 
Stuff that's all around us blinds us from what the spiritual things are that are going on around us. Our sight gets in the way sometimes and only able to observe what is right in front of us and missing the wondrous works of God all around us. I want you to underline this phrase, and I'll finish with this. In verse 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Notice this, for they shall see. That phrase, shall see God. Shall see is to gaze with wide open eyes. When uh, we went out to the Grand Canyon out here in Arizona this year, we got to go out to the Grand Canyon. I've always wanted to go. I've always wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. And finally, I got a chance to go. And we were actually in a helicopter ride, and we were flying about 1,000 feet up. And he said, now listen, a sensation's going to happen to you <laughs> that, that whenever you go out, all of a sudden you're going from 1,000 feet to there's you know, a mile and a half below you. <laughs> so he says there's a sensation happens into you, in your body that you can't explain, but it'll happen to you when you fly out there. And I remember... Brother James, when we were flying, and he said that to me before we got there, guess what I started to do? My eyes are about like this, because I'm waiting for it, you know what I mean? I was like, when's this going to happen, man? So guess what? My eyes were what? Wide open. I was gazing, waiting, because he told me this will what? Happen. And so I had my eyes wide open. When this says, shall see God, God's saying, have your eyes wide open and watch the wondrous things that I'm doing all around you. We miss it. We miss it because we don't have our eyes wide open anymore. And, and we have those eyes wide open as something remarkable. Not, not just I'm simply observing something, but man, my eyes are wide open waiting for it. And that's that phrase, shall see. And God said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. In other words, their eyes are wide open to what God's doing. And they can see it all around them. And listen, uh, it's not just this mechanical passive vision. I mean, we are looking for God to do something. This type of sight is earnest. And listen, it goes on continually. Now, once we got out there, I know the sensation. I know what he meant now. When I got out there, it was like, ooh, you know that thing that happens in your stomach? I can't explain it. And you went, oh, wow. So we got out there. But then we get out there, and he starts telling us about it. And man, I was looking all around me just to see everything. And he's saying, all oh, over here, you'll see this, and, and you'll see these uh, waterfalls, and what are you doing now? This isn't just passively going, oh, okay. How many of you have had kids in the car, and you're saying, oh, look at this, look at that. Remember when they were little? And you tell them, oh, look at this, oh, look at that. You know, go out and see the Christmas lights. It's a big deal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now they're older, and I hear Anita go, oh, Emily, look, Christmas lights. Yeah right? Isn't that what it's like? And the thing of it is, though, God's talking about really observing. This sight is earnest. It's continued inspection. This isn't just watching off in the distance, man. You want to take it in. <laughs> and so, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, what? With eyes wide open, seeing the wondrous works of God all around them, seeing what God's doing. So you're intently watching, you're involved with God. And by the way, God is doing this in you, and it comes, and you're able to see it because you have a pure heart. It's a heart that is really desiring to observe what God's doing. Let's pray, folks.